There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Dudes have been fucked right up. Fucked right up. One dude at South Yarra Station, he, he was nearly killed. He was with a box cutter and I think he was poked maybe 30, 40 times the blade all the way out and all the way into this bloke and this is peak hour at South Yarra Station and his face cut up as well so there's scary dudes out there that just do not give a fuck The first time I witnessed serious violence was on the Dandenong train platform when I was 14 I watched a man slash the throat of a graffiti writer with a plastic box cutter. There was a lot of blood, shock and confusion. The attacker even rummaged through the guy's backpack while he was bleeding everywhere and quietly left with his spray cans. I always thought graffiti was a rite of passage for young teens who were down and out. But when I started hearing about the brazen violence that was being perpetrated in broad daylight, I discovered that for some people, especially those marginalised and commissioned housing, Paint on a wall is their way of establishing their place in society. Knack, a veteran graffer for over 20 years, was one of those people. A prolific writer who is still active and represents the legendary AC, All City Crew, Knack has copped, perpetrated and witnessed the different faces of violence that has been rooted in graffiti for decades. Back then, violence and graffiti wasn't about bravado. It came with the territory. This is Violent Times. What was kind of happening in your areas around that time? What, what was the lifestyle like? I come from a fairly well-to-do area. It was just, we were bored, eh? Drinking or stoned or whatever we could get our hands on to get dusted. We were shit-faced every day. And when you're shit-faced, you're not thinking <laughs> straight, eh? So you make decisions that sometimes you're later regretting that, you know what I mean? I think I've got, on my criminal history, maybe 20 counts of assaulting police. Every time the police deal with me now, it's like fucking... <laughs> it's a bit of a headache. Can you tell us about the scene? what the scene was like when you were first introduced into it? Everyone was b-boyed out, so we were all wannabe breakers and just b-boyed out and that. So there's some old 60 Minutes footage. 60 Minutes did an article on Graf back in 89, and you can actually see me and a few other dudes standing at Richmond Station in our puffy jackets, fresh nikes and all that shit in 1989, eh? Modern graffiti was born from romantic beginnings. In 1967, Daryl McRae, who is better known by his tag Cornbread, wanted to get the attention of his high school sweetheart Cynthia by tagging the city walls throughout Philadelphia with Cornbread Loves Cynthia. The trend exploded in New York where it became a cultural movement with writers and egomaniacs alike stepping up the stunts to get their names tattooed across the city. Because graffiti kind of started in New York, how soon after it did it reach Melbourne, and how did that happen? I'd put it down to the movie Beach Street and Subway Art the book, and then if you got a copy of Star Wars somehow, back then everyone's copy of Star Wars is the video version of Subway Art the book, 
and back then it was VHS, and everyone's copy had been copied 700 times, so it was black and white, scratchy in bits, you could barely understand bits and that, but to see all those New York trains from like the 70s and that running, it was just inspiring, yeah, because these dudes are doing crazy shit. The cream of the graph crop are called kings, technical artists who earn respect through full-colour compositions called burners. So-called tags or throwies, two-colour outlines or bubble tags, are sometimes prototypes for burners, but they're usually just implemented in bombing, which is repetitive tagging of an area, usually loops, the rail lines, or panels, the trains. The dregs of the community are crossed out and disgraced with the ultimate disrespect when the word toy is scrawled all over their work. There's like the trendy dudes, the boobed ones, there's actually a few different groups of graffiti writers, you know what I mean? There's like old school b-boy dudes like myself, then there's other dudes that don't even listen to hip-hop, this and that, and so there's all different types of graffiti writers now, yeah, and each group sort of stays in their own little group type thing. While riding the train on the Dandenong line, I watched the rolling gallery of pieces thrown up the night before. Some kids were into cartoons, but I was drawn to the cartoonish aggression of bubbling fonts and hand styles. Massive burners sprawled across the trains that kept you asking and guessing how these guys even got up there. Graffiti exploded among lower socioeconomic demographics. The kids throwing their name up gained an identity and their own version of street fame. Throughout the late 90s, crews from my area, like KSA, FMC, established reputations that were mythic in stature. I grew up around Dandenong. Um, 3174 and all that shit. Yeah, 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 all yeah, the yeah, KSA yeah. kind of. Yep. Could you talk a bit about those? <laughs> they were scary dudes, bro. I was friends with a lot of them, so I didn't have any problems. But I was at Richmond Station one Saturday afternoon and... Glen Waverley platform, Belgrave platform, was where the riders' bench were, at the stairs in the middle of the platform. So at any given time, there'd be 20 dudes sitting there. So we're all sitting there watching trains to see who's up the most. A train pulls in from Dandenong, and the front three carriages was all 3174 dudes, yeah? So three carriages full, get off at Richmond, bandanas and shit hanging everywhere, looking like they're straight out of the Colours movie and that, but they were scary motherfuckers. So they split into three groups. They went to the three sports stores in Camberwell and bum-rushed them. So maybe 30 dudes in each store and just ran in, grabbed everything off the shelves, boxes from, of shoes from out the back, and then legged it back to the station. So a couple of them did get pinched that day, but three-quarters of them were back at Richmond maybe 45 minutes after they left with handfuls of shit. They had no shame. Can you tell, tell us a bit about the war that kind of started? 3174, MC3, yeah. that was, yeah. I, I only know from the 3174 side, but they had serious beef, those dudes. They were having organised, proper organised gang fights, those dudes, with like a lot of people with bats, with nails hanging out at the end, the whole shit, like it was out of Warriors or something, but that shit went down back then. When I was in my teens, train stations were a second home for restless kids with nothing better to do. They were also convenient for transporting carriage loads of boozy rebels looking to test the reputations of neighbouring gangs and graffiti crews. 
Text messages would bounce between mediators, who would arrange a time and place. Armed with country road bags loaded with machetes and trolley poles, the disenfranchised would brawl in shopping centre car parks, for no real reason. How do they organise all that? It's trippy, eh? Just bumping into dudes on on train stations and that. So I think MC3 was mainly, like, Armenians and shit like that from, like, Dandenong. And 3174 were mainly from Noble, but they lived in Dandy as well. So there'd always be little fights. There's five of them walk along. They'd see three of them. They'd punch on. And these had happened enough until... Some of the older, higher-upper dudes have said, let's meet up properly this Saturday at the fucking football oval. Bring all your dudes and blah, 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 blah. So there is so much urban myth about those dudes that half the time they didn't have to do shit. Their reputation and the myth about them already had dudes shook. They'd just walk up to you and say, fucking, they look like they might fit me, eh? They look nice. Kick them off, bro. And you end up walking home in your socks to your mum and dad trying to explain how your brand new pair of $200 kicks has gone missing. And hypothetically, what were some of the things that were happening? Oh, dudes would get bashed. Dudes get run out of the yard. Dudes have their homes run through. Dudes get stood over. Bad shit to, yeah, younger kids and non-graffiti writers, just Joe Public. They, they, they didn't give a fuck more than the rest of us, and we were certainly not giving a fuck. So they were just on a whole another level of not giving a fuck. Are those sort of group fights happen now? Probably. Yeah, probably. I, <laughs> it's hard to answer the questions without throwing people under the rug. Yeah, of course they fucking do. The graffiti scene is incredibly insular, and anyone who deviates from its codes is either ousted by the community or marked as a target. It's so easy to ignore graffiti in a city like Melbourne because it's submerged in street art. So when I was told about the risks and life-threatening process involved in painting large-scale pieces, it was the sacrifice that made me appreciate what they do. Take us through all the steps of throwing it up on a train. Right, so first you need your implements, so you're going to have to go steal them from somewhere. A specific type of texture, like a Posca that lets you refill it. Then you'd go get your concoction of inks, so you'd be making up all these homemade brews of mixing this ink with that ink and blah blah blah. Then off to the train, and luckily I lived like at the end of the line, so Glen Waverley to Mount Waverley, Glen Waverley to Mount Waverley, Glen Waverley to Mount Waverley hundred times a day or something and every time I'm in a train carriage people there or not <laughs> so yeah ask people to get out of the way so we can take the window and that we had no shame back in the day because there was no mobile phones none of that so yeah we were all balls out with it so can you tell us about when you started writing graffiti as a full-blown toy probably 1984 85 other mates at school we're um, doing sketches and that in class. I think one of them had got Subway art, stolen it from the school library probably, and um, saw what he was doing, tried to imitate what he was up to. A couple of weeks later, him and his brother had done this huge burner, one of the first burners on Glen Waverley line. Went down, had a look at that, and that was it. Hook, line and sinker, gone. What, what did that first burner look like, do you remember? Yeah, it was a, a gel piece with uh, Woody Woodpecker on one side and 
Sylvester or something like that on the other side, like two full old school cartoon characters. The lettering was like some old English sort of gothic style thing. It's still there. The state of Victoria has some of the harshest graffiti laws in the world, and it's an offence to even carry spray paint or graffiti marking tools in public. It was always inspiring to see that in an area like Dandenong, amidst all the junkies, burglaries and broken dreams, there were artists who devoted their life to a rebellious act of lawless gratification. Even if paint on a wall translates as vandalism to others, there was something hopeful about it. Why is it so difficult to paint trains now? Because there's like four, six cameras in each carriage, so even before you get on the train, you're going to be on the station, you can't exactly stand on the station, bellied up and that, and then, you know what I mean, people are going to look at you funny, but I'm not a young bloke, and they see someone, even train drivers, when they come and try and muscle us out of our little run-up spot and that, they'll run over thinking that they're talking to 16-year-olds and that, and once they get there and realise that I'm older than the train driver himself, they sort of, oh, you do what you want, mate, and they walk away, you know what I mean, so. How was that different to when you were first introduced into painting trains and bombing and what, what was the process back then no it was it was the same we didn't give a shit and like you, you went along with our program or you, you copped it aside from the territorial disputes and train yards that other crews have claimed as their own the war and graffiti is waged against the train authorities or gumbies and what was the program? Can you just tell us what, well, just exactly what you did? Like, yeah, like when we were doing loops and that, the back and forth thing, like a couple of the, the Gumbies, the train workers at where we got off, tried to create problems with us because we used to drink at that station every day as well. So a couple of them got really badly fucked up and sent to hospital. Can you tell us one of those stories? I was probably 19 at this stage. We are all at Mount Waverley one night drinking under the bridge at the end of the platform there we're all pretty blind one of the younger guys from the crew walked up to us and he just had his nose broken by the guy who worked at the station because someone had scratched this poor prick's statesman he had a really nice done up car and earlier that night someone keyed his car and this young guy got the blame for it the young guy came to all of us under the bridge and was telling us about how the station guy broke his nose when we turn around and he's two metres away from us, walking at us like he's got basketball under his arms, acting like a big hero, coming to challenge us, and there's 30 of us there blind drunk. Like, he got rocks thrown at his head and the whole shit. He, he was in hospital for six months, so... Not, a few of us couldn't go to the station for a little while because of that one. How violent do you reckon the graffiti scene was back then was is always will be yeah graffiti is such a i don't know the word to use but it's such a a blokey thing to do like if you go over my tag you go over my throw up you go over anything i do there's probably going to be some problems so how has it changed now do you do you still see that kind of violence Back then, it was just punching on. These days, it seems to be more about box cutters and even guns and shit. So it's, it's just a whole nother level. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. In Australia, a graffer's weapon of choice is a fixed razor utility knife or box cutter. This crude weapon is stashed in the bum bags and jocks of lads who expect to be tested for their tag, and it's the same one that was used in the slashing of the man's throat when I was a young teenager. Who were some of the most notorious crews when you were growing up? Some of the dudes from out the West have certainly made a, a bit of a name for themselves with their work. <laughs> TSF dudes and that were always pretty handy with the hands and with the, the shivs and that. But all crews, dude, every, everyone's gone through the same shit. The whole box cutter thing is kind of uniquely Australian. Can you talk to that? Where, where oh, do you think that came not from? Not something that I got into myself, but I think it came from prison, eh? I think it's that whole... New York shit, those dudes actually carry the razor in their mouths and fucking in jail and carry it around and just spit it out and cut your face open, whereas I think these dudes were trying to emulate that shit but didn't want to put the shit in their mouth and still wanted the effect, so I don't know. I don't know, but yeah, people have been sliced and diced by that shit really bad, so. There are certain kinds of codes of conduct in Mm. graffiti. How would you describe them and how they're used as ways to validate the violence because i've grown up and chilled out a bit more these days it's hard to put me head back then and understand why i was doing all this shit it was just a whole lot of bravado and that basically yeah it's like you can't let anyone get one over on you because then the next bloke can and the next bloke and the next bloke but if you try and take care of everyone who's doing something the word gets around don't touch his shit because there'll be dramas so I mean, that still goes on for sure. For sure. Do you reckon it was more violent in the early years? It was more just punching on in the early years. As I say, it's got more to people coming to visit you at your house when you're asleep. or You know what I'm saying? There's all sorts of levels to the shit. Graffiti culture adheres to the no-comment codes of the street. A lot of the unbound rules have organically seeped in from gangs and prison culture because they've originated or inhabited the same demographics. A culture that shares a black and white hatred for the police and authorities in general. Could you tell us about some of those early violent instances that you experienced or that you witnessed? I mean, I've been bashed by the police that many times that it's not funny. I've got an acquired brain injury because of a belting I copped from the police where I didn't wake up for six days, had epilepsy for probably three years. Nearly every time I stood up, I'd start popping and locking involuntary and hit the deck. So 
I've copped the other end of the stick as well, you know what I mean? It's not just one way, and I'm not trying to lay myself out to be a hero, you know what I mean? But it's hard, bro. It's hard to put everything into words and, I don't know, struggling. The police violence was particularly prevalent in the mid-90s, right? Yeah, and the uh, late 80s too, yeah. yeah. Could yeah. you talk a bit about that? The main offender, he was bashing us when we were 15, 16, and this is a fully grown man, you know what I mean? Even the uniformed transit patrol, one of them, his daughter went to the same school that my brother's missus went to. And he somehow got his daughter to say that my brother dobs or some shit and tried to get my brother bashed at his girlfriend's school. Stories like Knack's were common in the outer suburbs throughout the late 90s and early 2000s. Police often took advantage of the no-comment policy among graffers, and during my research, I personally heard stories of graffers being put in the divvy van, beaten, and dropped off in rural areas. They weren't angels, and many had previously assaulted police, but the animosity from within the culture has been spiralling since its inception. So we are going to paint Jollymont train yard, which isn't there anymore one night. This is probably 94, 95-ish. We'd all been at the pub drinking, blind drunk, drove drunk to the city. Me, Nasty, Junior, a friend of mine who's passed away now, and I think Hire was there. We're all painting away, just blind, not giving a fuck. And before you know it, a big security guard has got my mate Junior, who only had one leg at the time, he was going through cancer treatment and that, had him in a bear hug. Jollymont's a, a huge big train yard, and this guy was by himself. I was up on a, a retaining wall, maybe four foot high, and he's like giving me the mouth and trying to tell me, no, 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 just you put the cans down and all of his line up over there. And it was, no, 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 no. So I picked up a piece of blue stone about the size of six bricks, maybe a little bit bigger, and said, put it down or I'll throw it at you. So he's let go of my mate at the same time. I've thrown the, the bluestone block at him and the silly plick, he's tried to catch it and got it straight in his chest and down he went. And all of us got the scarper away, so at least we got to finish our panels and that, you know what I mean? So yeah, we, we spent another five minutes while he was on the ground moaning and groaning, finished our shit and scarpered. Do you know what happened to him? Nah, fuck him. To some, Nack's attitude may seem difficult to sympathise with. I grew up with a lot of guys who will always be resentful of authorities. It's never personal, it's symbolic. The authorities represent a system that they believe is responsible for their outlook. A perspective that is bred out of drug abuse, violence, poverty, prison and discrimination. I don't want to name names or this and that, but, like, yeah, dudes have been fucked right up. Fucked right up. One dude at South Yarra Station, he he was nearly killed. He was with a box cutter, and I think he was poked maybe 30, 40 times. The blade all the way out and all the way into this bloke. And this is peak hour at South Yarra Station, and his face cut up as well. So there's scary dudes out there that just do not give a fuck. I just think some people uh, have spent too much time in jail and don't give a fuck no more. This year, the Menister Society crew, MTS, made headlines when prison authorities reported 
that the graffiti crew had joined forces with Victoria's most notorious prison gang, the Prisoners of War. In some circles, violence and criminality are a certificate of authenticity for their graffiti. The notoriety of the writer supersedes the artistic merit of the work, and sadly, it's an attitude often embraced by writers from tragic circumstances, commission housing estates, and juvenile offenders. The kids who traditionally exploited graffiti to give their lives a voice are the ones who have fallen victim to it. If you're a graffiti writer and you don't get lippy and this and that, usually you'll be sweet in prison because there's always heaps of other writers in there. You usually click up and chill together. So, I mean, I've only been to prison once and I spent the whole time chilling with writers. What was the culture? Drawing, war stories, doing bloody birthday cards for people hand-drawn shit. Can you draw me this? Can you draw me that? Can you draw me something for me to get tattooed or... So you can make a, a dollar, get a packet of ciggies back in the day. You could anyway before they outlawed all that shit too. Do you think that violence from prison poured back out into the streets in terms of graffiti? I think so. It wasn't until maybe early 90s that a lot of dudes started going to prison. That's when the heroin sort of hit the scene and a lot of dudes were fucked up. Heroin hit the graffiti scene pretty hard back then. This is when it was $20 caps and all the rest of it, so it was out of control. Because I think most graffiti writers are wasteoid dudes. <laughs> As I said before, we were getting shit-faced on whatever the fuck we could. Once there was something strong and only 20 bucks and this and that, yeah, half the scene was fucked. When I was introduced to the scene in the early 2000s, the culture revolved around drinking, smoking weed and popping pills on the weekend. Everyone was out to get more wasted and outdo each other on different train lines. But then, meth was introduced, and the scene took a turn for the worst. The drug problem in the graph culture is pretty bad, yeah, and that's where the whole suicide thing comes in again, probably, when drugs have got a hold of you, you haven't got a hold of them. If you're 22, 23, and all of a sudden, you haven't got control of your life, and everything's revolving around... Drugs and that, especially ice, dude, it just, it fucks cunts, yeah. Especially at the start, man, the shit was that strong at the start before dudes knew how to cut it and do all their little tricks and this and that. The shit was even more powerful than it is now and I've seen mates of mine have a tiny little bit and not sleep for three days and then they'll top up again and if you haven't slept for ten days, you're not going to be in your right frame of mind and I, I think that shit's evil, though. What kind of violence have you seen perspire from that? My other little mate that killed himself just when he was on a bender and that, and this is a kid who told me he loves me, blah this and blah that. He'd ring me telling me he's going to fucking gouge me eyes out and you're dead, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that to you. And there's no way he could, but when he was dusted, he'd even turn on the ones that loved him the most. You know what I mean? It's just, it's fucking hard, bro. And have you ever lost anyone to graffiti? Yes. Yeah. In 97, when the heroin really hit the scene and that, I think I lost eight friends in six months or something. I mean, I had one of my younger dudes from the crew commit suicide 18 months ago. He ended up using a drug that he'd never used before. He was getting a lot of Xanax and that off the dark web. And I'm pretty sure he took a handful of Xanax, bought some pure heroin. He'd never shot up before. Shot up a, a gram of pure heroin or something and the poor bugger's gone. 
Then another one of the younger dudes, his dad was the Australian or Melbourne King of Graffiti Prime, his dad was, one of the first writers. He passed away. His son lost the plot, couldn't live without his dad, killed himself. It's fucked. And that's just in the last couple of years, yeah? It is out of control. Do you think the older generation of writers kind of have this responsibility to teach their younger dudes? I try and do that shit, yeah. So I've been letting younger dudes in my little crew for ages and trying to school them up and show them through my photo collection and answer as many questions as I can, you know what I mean? But that's only me and my little crew of mates. But a lot of dudes think... At that age, you think you know everything and this old fool and his old stories and blah, blah, blah. And how do you kind of tip them up on the violence? The kids that I've let in my crew, they're actually all good units and they're not actually about that shit. They're sort of more cruisy dudes, more about just purely the graph instead of me looking for dudes that can enforce the crew and blah, blah, blah. I was more looking at dudes that I thought, that's a good kid. He's already shown some promise. If I fucking teach him as much shit as I can, be there for the dude when they're down or whatever. Just proper family shit like crew's meant to be. What Knack is trying to emphasise is the responsibility that these older generation writers have in redirecting the course of what makes graffiti important. The legacy of graffiti needs to be about what's left on the walls, not what's being fought for in the streets. I've been speaking to a lot of people in my research about graffiti culture in Melbourne specifically and there is this increasing trend of suicide. It's fucking out of control. It is out of control. Even the the posts my mate Click was making on social media before he passed, like, yeah. Dark, dark shit he was writing, you know what I mean? It's, it's fucking sad, bro. It's sad. I've always respected graffiti because it's a lonely act that's about leaving something behind, leaving your mark on society, validating yourself or expressing yourself, breaking apart from the norms while illustrating the city on your terms. This might sound superfluous to some people, but for those that have nothing, it matters most. I mean, I went through all that shit as well, trying to knock myself and all that when I was younger. I just think graffiti as a subculture draws on the kids that are missing something, the kids that, I don't know what it is, but there's something missing and they find the answer in graffiti. I understand why people don't like it and shit, but as I say, it's like the core of the culture, tagging and getting your name up as much as you can. I think it comes down to that whole thing, as I said earlier, about graffiti attracts, especially when they're younger, kids who have got some sort of problem, whether they've got behavioural issues or some shit. Like, I just definitely think that graffiti attracts dudes that are looking for something, yeah? This episode of Violent Times was hosted by me, Mahmoud Fazal, produced by Callum Vandermortel, researched and developed by Lloyd Wellington, edited by Dom Duker and Jeffrey O'Connor, mixed and mastered by Jeffrey O'Connor. Our series producer is Katie Roberts, and post-production coordinator is Pia Caridi. On the next episode of Violent Times, 
I'll be talking to Naomi de Souza, who at the age of 15 joined the Tamil Tigers, a liberation front to some and a terrorist organization to others. From reading Tintin adventure stories to firing AK-47s, Naomi's story is proof that violence is not a tool for resistance, it's a tool for suffering. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.